Good morning. We are here this morning uh, to continue in a sermon series that we have titled God Is. So what that means is we're looking at who God is. Uh, We're looking at the attributes of God, his nature, his character. Uh, We started last Sunday. uh, We looked at God is triune, the Christian God, the God of Trinity. And this morning, uh, we're looking at that God is good, that God is good. And really, that is the key, right, to singing the song that we just sang. To, to be able to say, blessed be your name, even when the road is marked with suffering, is to have a conviction that God is good, that God really is good. So the, the, the idea behind this sermon series, one that I've wanted to do for a while, is really rooted in this quote, which I want to read to you again from A.W. Tozer. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. Who is God? The attributes of God. God is who? What comes into your mind when you really think about the God you believe in? Uh, Psalm 135 says it, as well, just the same truth, plainly, but in God's word, that those who make idols will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. And so it's really important how you answer that question, who is God? And that's why we're looking at it together as a church family. And so we're going to look this morning at the fact, the truth, the encouragement that God is good, that God is good. So for me, for me, and just thinking this week about just my own journey with that statement or that declaration of faith or that question. I would say that foundationally, and even maybe just for my life personally, directionally, this idea of God being good is an issue that I settled in my life between the years of about 1997 to the year 2000. It's just a period of my life. I can't really say it's a particular day. And what was going on at that time, I was wrestling with whose good plan would I really trust to lead to something that I wanted, that I know we all want. I wanted to be happy in life. Like, I wanted to enjoy my life. And so the question I'm asking during this time in the late 90s, whose good plan will I trust to lead to that? Will I trust my own plan? Which if I'm honest, my plan was really a script taken straight off of probably at that time MTV. If I'm honest, my plan was really just this world's plan. Or would I trust God's plan? Would I believe God's plan? I wouldn't have put it exactly this way at that time. But as I reflect back on that time, I think the question I really was fundamentally asking is, do I believe that God is good? 
Do I really believe that God is good, that he wants good for my life? And if I entrust my life to him foundationally, fundamentally, and really go all in with God, will that lead to what I'm looking for? That's the question I was asking. Now, I say it was settled then, right? But it's not settled, is it? It's really never settled because we're still on this side of heaven. 25 years later, I have learned and am learning that the goodness of God is something I still profoundly wrestle with as I go through the ups and downs of the Christian life. Can you relate? I personally would benefit from something like the sermon this morning, to be real with you, a refresher on the rock-solid and enduring truth that God is good regardless of what is happening in my life. We all wrestle with this question. You do too. Is God good even when there is great evil in the world? Is God good even when he is denying me the desire that I have? Is God good when he has ordained or allowed trials in my life? Is God good? Will God be good to me if I make this difficult choice that I know his word or his spirit has told me to make? Is God good? And so today, as I share with you this message, I'm sharing with you something that I have found to be fundamentally true, that God is good but also something that I still personally, just speaking for me, fight daily to believe that it's really true. So this morning, we're going to look at this big idea that God is good and that I can entrust my life to God in every season because he is good. God has been good. God is being good. And God will be good. And so I'm going to read you a passage of scripture that starts off with the same question, the same subject of the goodness of God. I'm going to read this passage from Luke 18, verse 18 through 30. And then I'm going to pray and we're going to jump in. So if you have a copy of God's word, Luke 18. It would have been good if I was already turned there, right? (laughs) All right. Luke 18, verse 18. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept and from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, "Uh, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. 
Those who heard it said, well, then who can be saved? But he said, what's impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. So let's pray. Lord, we uh, bow before you in prayer. Uh, Many of us can relate with this wealthy, privileged, young ruler who came to Jesus and felt that we already knew that, Jesus, you are good and we call you good. But our actions often show that we don't believe that you are good that you have more for us in following you than we could ever dream of having in this world. And so, God, I pray that you would just do a surgery in our hearts this morning and give us, Lord, a refreshed, a renewed, an emboldened, and a strengthened conviction about your character, that you're good. So, God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So God is good. That's the first point. God is good. We'll be looking at God is good. We'll be looking at God has been good. We'll be looking at God is being good. And we'll be looking at God will be good. And then we'll be talking about how we should respond. All right? So God is good. His character, his nature. God is good. In the children's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, a beaver who can talk says to Susan, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. That's kind of us sometimes. Oh, we just thought, God, you were just like us. Is he quite safe, she says. I feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good, and he's the king. And so this idea that, that, that God is good, we don't make him good. He's not good when he's good to us. He was already good. That's why he was good to us. He is good. This is an article of faith. This is a conviction in the heart of every Christian who knows Jesus that God is good. And that's a truth that exists outside of and completely separate from our circumstances at the moment. An English preacher, Charles Spurgeon, which we're celebrating our independence from England this weekend, said, we must never tolerate, but we'll still read the quote. We must never tolerate an instance of unbelief as to the goodness of the Lord. Whatever else may be in question, this is absolutely certain that the Lord is good. His dispensations may vary, but his nature is always the same. His nature is good. So what is goodness? What do we mean? Let's define the goodness of God, okay? Definition time. And I want to promote a book. I'm promoting books in this sermon series on God's attributes. Last week, The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. This week, The Attributes of God by A.W. Pink. Isn't that amazing? A.W. Tozer, now A.W. Pink. 
Come on. <laughs> so look, got a theme going here. Here's a definition from A.W. Pink on the attributes of God. This is how he defines goodness. The goodness of God refers to the perfection of his nature. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. There is such an absolute perfection in God's nature and being that nothing is wanting to it or defective in it, and nothing can be added to it to make it better. The goodness of God. He goes on to say, God is not only the greatest of all beings, he's the best. God is good. And so we're looking here at God is good, his nature. So what about scripture? Where does it say in scripture that God is good? Well, we just saw in Luke 18, Jesus Christ said it. The teacher or the ruler comes to Jesus and he's like, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds saying, why do you call me good? Only God is good. God alone is good. Now, is Jesus saying that he's not good? Is he denying what this guy has said to him? No. He's just pushing back. He's challenging this guy. You're calling me good, but you don't really believe that God is good. Let's talk about what you're actually saying. Let's talk about the words coming out of your mouth. But Jesus, the words that came out of Jesus' mouth is this truth. No one is good except God alone. Now, does that mean that you're not good at all? No, right? Right? I mean, come on. Like, if you, you know, help your neighbor jump their car off in the rain, that's a good deed. You're a good person. You know, you're not as bad as you could be. Scripture doesn't say that everyone is as bad as they could be, but it does teach that in everything we are sinners. And so by the standard of the goodness of God, holy, perfect goodness, by the standard of the definition I just read to you, only God is good. Genesis 3 verse 1, the temptation in the Garden of Eden when the serpent came to the woman and the man was passively standing there, and both of them plunged our race into sin. It says, The serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, watch this, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And if you continue to read in Genesis 3, you realize very quickly that the core of Satan's Temptation to Eve and Adam is a challenge against the goodness of God. That ought to be instructive to us that the original sin is a challenge to the goodness of God. It's important for us to have a conviction that God is good. In Exodus 33, Moses, the leader for God's people, Israel, has just rescued them with God's help from 400 years in slavery in Egypt. He's brought them out. But Moses is really, he didn't grow up in church. He really doesn't know God that well. He just has been sent on this mission by the Lord Yahweh. And he actually is praying in Exodus 32 and 33. He's like, God, you're using me to do all these things. And you're saying you're going to Keep using me to lead them to the promised land. You know my name, but God, I don't really know your name. He says that. 
And he says, I really want to know you. I want to know who you are. Exodus 33, verse 13, he says, if you're pleased with me, watch this, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. And then he continues still in Exodus 33, and he says, and you've perhaps heard this before, he says, please show me your glory. And he said, the Lord said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name. You know, the Hebrew word for goodness is the word tov. So maybe you've heard uh, someone say mazel tov, right? They're saying good luck. Mazel means luck and tov is good. And here in the Hebrew, God is saying, I'm going to make all of my toveness pass before you, my goodness. And so when Moses says, I want to know you, I want to know who you are, the answer is all my goodness. God is good. It's not just what he does, it's who he is. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, is good. There are so many verses in the Bible about God has been good. God will be good. And we're going to look at a lot of them today. But let's just make sure we pause and see God is good. He is good. It is his nature, his being. It's who he is and who he has been, as we looked at last week, in perfect triune community for all of eternity He's been good. He is good. So the big idea, again, God is good. I can entrust my life to God in every season because he is good. God has been good. God is being good, and God will be good. Second point, God has been good. So let's look at this. Let's unpack this. God has been good two ways, common grace and saving grace. Common grace and saving grace. Common grace, intentionally, grace here is lowercase because it's common. Common grace. Think about this for a moment. God could have easily created a world where our hunger is met without a sense of taste. God could have easily created a world that would have produced necessary crops without the scenery and scent of beautiful flowers. God could have easily made a world where birds could communicate with one another in the morning and it doesn't sound like music. He could have done that, but he didn't because he's good. And because he's good to everyone, all of his creation, the Bible says, this is called common grace. God shows his goodness to everyone. Yesterday at the pool, With my kids, one of my daughters had saved up some allowance and she bought a giant pretzel. They make snacks at this pool. And she had so excited to get it and she bought it and she was sitting there eating it and she looked at me and she just said, Dad, why is the world full of yumminess and happiness? (laughs) And I just was thinking, and I didn't actually say because God is good, I'm going to be honest with you. I just wrote it down and texted it to my wife because I thought it was so funny. 
But we do know. Why? Because God is good. A definition here for this idea of common grace from John Murray says, Common grace is every favor of whatever kind or degree falling short of salvation, which this undeserving and sin-cursed world enjoys at the hand of God. Psalm 145, it says, The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. And so just, just make sure you have this category of common grace, that God is good not just to Christians, all right? God is not just good to Israel. He's not just good to Presbyterians. He's not just good to Baptists. He's good to all. Common grace. Matthew 4, I tell you, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He, this is talking about God, He causes His Son, His Son, to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Common grace. God's goodness to everyone. God has been good. Acts 14, Paul preaching, says, In the past, this is at the city of Lystra, in the past, God let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. God does this. He has done this for everyone because he's good. He has been good. That's common grace. Now, what about saving grace? Continuing with this point that God has been good. Now saving grace, intentionally uppercase grace. Because while common grace is for everyone, saving grace is what we, and I say we as in if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, we as believers know about and have experienced God's saving grace. The gospel literally The good news is the ultimate view of God's infinite goodness. That God the Father would sacrifice His one and only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. Buried and raised to newness of life that we who are not good might have new life through faith In Him, this is the good news, saving grace. God has been good, common grace, and saving grace. No wonder in Titus 3, Paul says, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Because when Jesus came, when He died on the cross for our sins, it was, as Paul says in Titus, the appearance of of the goodness of God. No wonder Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The thing about 
this truth that God has been good in common grace and saving grace is that we don't deserve it. That's what is the point in Romans 5 verse 8 where it says, God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He doesn't meet you halfway with your church attendance and good deeds. While we were at the bottom of the ocean, dead in our sin, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Undeserved, that's the definition and meaning of grace. Undeserved merit. So, common grace, saving grace. These are the ways, these two categories are helpful, I think, that God has been good. So we've seen that God is good, that God has been good. And now, that God is being good, that God is being good right now in this moment, in our lives. Again, the idea this morning, I can entrust my life to God in every season because he is good, has been good, is being good, and will be good. Romans 8, verse 28 says this, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So if you are one of his, if you are a child of God, if you have his spirit inside you, and you're really a disciple of Jesus Christ, this verse is declared over you that God in all things is working toward good in your life. He is being good to you. And that's a challenge to our faith sometimes. And I go through a difficult season or situation still believing that God is good. However painful a trial may be, Can I, by faith, exclaim that the infinite, eternal, and bountiful goodness of my God is not handcuffed to the brief and finite and at times very difficult circumstances of my life? Now, it's okay to lament and grieve. We're not talking about, let's be fake, all right? Like, I'm going through the worst day of my life, and I'm like, God is good. And you're like, all the time. And I'm like, all the time, God is good. Woo! You know, Ned Flanders, like, let's just fake it till you make it. Like, no. We're talking about really believing deeply in your heart of hearts that God is good, even as you go through something hard, and that he's with you. In his book, Real God, Pastor Chip Ingram says, that he tries to keep this in mind. Whatever God has allowed to come into my life has come through hands that are kind, cordial, and benevolent. And he says, one of the goals of my life is that I will habitually give thanks as an unconscious response to all circumstances and relationships in light of the goodness and sovereignty of God. It's challenging 
I think we know it's right. God is good. God has been good. God is being good. Even in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, as Joseph was hated, betrayed, and attempted murder, and sold into slavery by his brothers, and sees them many years later when they have a need, they're coming back, and now they are desperate and need him to help them. Ultimate opportunity to be like, karma, you know? Ultimate opportunity for Joseph to be like, yeah, you guys had this coming. I'm vindicated now. And he says to them in verse 20 of chapter 50, sorry, I kind of skipped some of the story too. Joseph murdered, kidnapped, sold to slavery, taken to Egypt, but then he gets out of prison and he's promoted and becomes a high-ranking official in Egypt. Then his brothers come to him for help. And he says to them, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So God has been good through common grace and saving grace. God is being good through the good and difficult circumstances in our lives. I can entrust my life to God in every season because he is good, has been good, is being good, and because God will be good. God will be good. Look at this verse, Romans 8, 31 to 32. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Whenever I read this verse, I think of this story when I was in graduate school and I was buying a ring to get engaged to my wife. And I was at this jeweler in this really wealthy and affluent city on the north shore of Chicago. And I was looking at rings and I, was, I had my budget and there was this one ring, but they kept letting me look at all the stones through this little magnifying glass. And um, I mean, I'm, you know, I don't know much about rings or diamonds, okay? And I just was like, they were pointing out to me all the features of the stones and everything. And so, you know, and this was, I was told, you know, that they'll negotiate. So I'm like, hey, I'm going to go with that one. If you throw in that magnifying glass. <laughs> True story. Seriously, this jeweler, he's like, let me, let me think about it. He goes in the back room. I'm pretty sure they you know, all just started falling on the floor laughing. He wants the $6 magnifying glass, and he's using it as a bargaining chip to pay full price for the ring. Comes back out, we, we thought about it. We've decided to include the magnifying glass and sell it to you for full price. I'm like, yes, thank you. And I just think of that story when we read like Romans 8.32. God did not spare his own son. The argument is from the greater to the lesser. God has already given you, if you're in Christ, the greater. Why would he not also with him graciously give us all things? God will be good. 
That's even what comes up in this story with the rich young ruler that we read at the beginning as we started. He doesn't believe that God is good. He calls Jesus good, but he really doesn't believe that God is good because when Jesus really puts him on the spot and when Jesus, as only Jesus can do, puts his finger on the idol of this man's heart, which is his great possessions, and says, one thing you lack, give everything you have to the poor and follow me. And a lot of us can relate with this rich young ruler because we say, man, that's a big call. Like, what, are we supposed to sell all our stuff right now? But we miss part of the verse. Jesus says, and you will have, what does it say? Treasure in heaven. So the real crisis of faith for this rich young ruler is whether he will value the treasure in heaven and the following of Jesus that has just been offered to him. Will he value that more than the possessions that he has? And it says that he's sad. We don't hear anything else about him. There's so much we could talk about with this story. What brought him to Jesus? It doesn't say, but if you think about it, you know, every rich person is not going to Jesus and saying, hey, how can I get eternal life? What happened? Did he get cancer? What happened? What made him start thinking about eternal life so much? He had all this money. It's interesting, too, that it says in the text that he was wealthy and religious. The fact that he was wealthy is, again, we talked about this earlier in the message. That's a sign, a symbol of God's common grace. He blesses people, even people that don't know him, even people that when asked to follow him say, no thanks, I'll be sad and walk away. Common grace. So Peter, at the end of that story, he's like, Jesus, who can be saved? And Jesus is like, you're getting the point. Like, you cannot save yourself. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. He says the whole story of, you know, it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I've heard people say silly things like, well, you know, it's not literal. There's actually a gate in Jerusalem called the Camel Gate, and camels would have to get down on their knees to crawl through, and like that's just Jesus just teaching us that we have to crawl our knees to come to him. It's like, no, there's actually not a gate called the Camel Gate. Okay, there's not. It's not there. It's just a literal thing. He's saying, you can't save yourself. Like, you cannot fit a camel through the eye of a needle. It's impossible. Peter understood it was impossible, and that's why he asked the question, and Jesus said, well, it's possible with God. And then Peter said, Jesus, we've left our homes. We have followed you. And Jesus said this promise to him, because God is good, because God has been good, because God is being good, because God to Peter and to us will be good. Look at this promise. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers, or parents, or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. God is good. You can entrust your life to God because he is good, because he has been good, because he is being good, because he will be good. So let's talk about a conclusion, a response. And I would just say the the right response is 
to use two very common words in the Bible and in church, these words right here, repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. The word repentance literally means change of mind. The Greek word is metanoia. Meta, like change, like metamorphosis. Meta, mind. Change your mind. The idea of repentance is to change your mind and from there your attitude and from there your actions about your sin. To turn and follow Christ by faith. Faith literally just means to trust. So to have a change of mind, a change of attitude, a change of action, and to put your faith in God. I think that's the right response. It's helpful in the book I mentioned earlier, Real God by Chip Ingram. He says, a way to respond to the goodness of God is to perhaps confess to him, Lord, I have been thinking wrongly about life. It's not rocket science. It's just hard work of our heart. And so maybe for you this morning, God is calling you to see that he is good. Maybe you, similar to the rich young ruler in Luke 18, are at a crossroads in your life where you need to decide, am I going to follow Jesus? Or am I going to follow my plan for my life? And what you didn't maybe realize is how much of that decision is a question beneath that of, is God good? And so today, if that's you, call out to Jesus by faith and bow your knee to Christ. But maybe there are many more of us where God is telling us to repent of ways that we have made His infinite and eternal goodness dependent on our temporary and finite circumstances. Sometimes we let our circumstances hold His praise and our joy hostage. And so to really repent of this and to, to really walk this out in faith, we must wholly entrust ourselves by faith to God again knowing he is good and giving praise to him for his goodness, particularly where we have withheld that praise. What if everyone here did a personal check-in this morning on their belief in the goodness of God? What if everyone here chose to base their belief in the goodness of God, not on circumstances, but on what God's Word says about Him and upon the truth that He has been good in Christ? Oh, that we might be a church that smiles and sings because we know that God is good. Oh, that we might be a church that help our brothers and sisters in Christ smile and sing in their trials because we know that God is good. God is good. And so let me close in prayer as we ask the worship team to come back and lead us in a song of response. And then we're going to have communion together this morning.